Hello, my name is Sebastián Castro Nicolescu, and I will be having a conversation with Akasha Barker for the New York City Transoral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is July 12th, 2018, and this is being recorded at the New York Public Library offices in Midtown Manhattan. Hi, Akasha. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm fine. Um, so I guess to start off, we could just start talking about where you're from, where you were born. Um, I am from, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I, um, the year 1979. Um, I was brought here to New York City um, with my mom at the age of five. And I basically grew up here in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and New Jersey, actually, um, at a young age. So I, I know both New Jersey and New York as my, as my, where I was brought up. Okay. Um, and was there a specific reason for the shift from Boston to New York? Um, I had no place to live. I lived with my, my friend. Uh, many years that I considered my sister. Mm -hmm. uh, we had the same trans experience and um, basically I was kind of like a runaway at one point. Mm -hmm. Then I was an emancipated minor okay. and then I was um, just ended up just living my life, mm -hmm. you know, um, as easy as can be with other people like me. Okay. Um... Do you have a first memory? Of what specifically? Just the first, like, earliest memory you can think of. The earliest memory, which I, I've kept <laughs> to myself for many years, um, being a afterbirth, I could say, it's like always in my mind, like, I feel like I remember the time at birth. And then after that, which which was just warm, cozy, and just seemed peaceful and great. Mm -hmm. And then being born and seeing the world. Mm -hmm. And I was always fascinated with the trees and the, I was always, I guess, looking up because I was being laid down. Never, I analyze things as, as I talk them out sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the trees and the peacefulness in Boston and the parks and the the trees and the shifts from different places. Like I I was pretty interested in my surroundings, the peaceful, beautiful surroundings. Mm -hmm. And um, from my understanding, I was told that I didn't talk for many years. I wasn't interactive with people or um, I really stayed to myself a lot and kind of just paid attention to certain things. Um, but I was not interactive with other kids. Um, I was really, um, I really didn't have an interest for, for other people. My mom said that uh, she took me to, to find out if I was okay. And, um, 
the specialist said I was just bored, that I was just like not engaging because I wasn't being stimulated mentally. So I was kind of like, I guess I finally decided to talk at some point. <laughs> but um, I kind of felt like that for years. Like I, I, I think a lot more inside my head than I do mm. outside. So on the outside, speak out. I'm now currently more talkative on the outside. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and so maybe you're kind of like describing the neighborhood um, in Boston where you originally mm-hmm. grew up. Um, was there a specific section that you grew up in? Um, that I don't, because I was so young. Yeah, yeah. And I've gone back there a few times after leaving. But I, I really don't know where. I remember just certain things about Boston, like the Stone Streets hmm. um, of Boston shopping area. I remember certain trains. Um, I remember the bus when I was being taken to school. Um, I don't, I remember the park. I remember the fairs. The, the fairs, they had um, carnival fairs nearby me, but I I don't know, I don't remember too much about Boston, except for the peacefulness, <laughs> the, the different aspect, the, the fun and stuff like that. I mean, I remember it was the time that I was pointed out for being different, just, but it wasn't so, drastic. I was pointed out in class by some boys for being different, but I can't remember different how. Mm. But it wasn't like something really big, but I I do remember that that was kind of like weird to me. In my mind, I was, you know, I didn't really care, but Mm. it was kind of like I remember the teacher having to stop the situation. Mm. So... Was that in elementary school? This was pre-K. Pre-K. Pre-K, oh, wow. or like a daycare, yeah. It was like pre-K. Okay. Okay, so then, um, yeah, how was... You mentioned, like, not talking at the beginning. Was that continuing until, like, beginning school? hmm Okay. And so what was your kind of, like, early experiences with school like? My early experiences were, um... Um, I mean... First coming to New York City, it was, school was kind of like, um, how do you say, it was fine um, where I was, where we first moved to, my mom moved around a lot um, in the beginning years. It was fine where I was, when I was first, when I first started. The first school, I, I used to go to school by myself. So I used to get up and walk to school up the block. My mom would go home. I mean, go to work, and I would go to school. School was only like one block away. It was just around the corner. Um, I was fine in that school, that first school. My second school, um, I guess I transferred there in the... First grade, okay. and that school 
was was fine, but they said I was bad. So I guess I, I I don't know what I I don't remember what I did that was bad, but they said I was bad at like talking out in class, and I'm supposed to be quiet, or that was a block away to the school. It was, yeah, it was a block away, or if I'm late or something. I think that was the reason why. When I got more concrete um, <laughs> memories, it was uh, the third grade. I had transferred to a school in Brooklyn, PS one thirty seven. And basically, I got picked on for um, all the way into junior high school wow. by the same people. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So it was my elementary school friend, not friends, but elementary school all went to the school up the block, which was a junior high school. Hmm. I was bullied because I was a nerd hmm. from third grade on up. Okay. Uh, a nerd in what way? Um, geeky and non-interactive for people. Like okay. I stayed away even during lunchtime. Mm. I would um, go to the library or the computer room mm. and stay there and do art or mm. do um, play with the computer and stuff like that. I was pretty antisocial. Yeah, yeah. Um. And you mentioned moving around with your mom. What was your mom doing in terms of, like, working at that time? At that time, my mom was an immigrant. Okay. And she... I don't know if she was on a temporary visa or something, but um, she was finding stability. Mm -hmm. And um, the places that she worked at, I wasn't really sure. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think I know them, but I'd rather not talk about the state. You know, but my mom was basically an immigrant from another country who came here and stabilized herself. Okay. Um, do you mind mentioning which country? St. Vincent. Okay. Um, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, so okay. near South America. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, what was, so we talked a bit about life at school. What about life at home around that time? <sighs> Life at home was kind of, I was quiet, (laughs) basically, Mm -hmm. and um, it was pretty much confusing. I mean, I grew up poor. Mm -hmm. My mom was poor. My mom didn't have much. There would be time when we didn't have lights. Mm -hmm. We didn't have much to eat, Mm -hmm. and um, we just, I was just used to it. And so, outside would be kind of like my relief, um, but also inside I was capable of just doing anything and being okay. okay. Doing anything as an art or yeah. playing with paper or playing with whatever caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the ways that you found relief, through art and through... Mm-hmm. Um, did those continue as you kind of like grew up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely continued. I ended up like getting an art award from school, hmm. music awards from school. Um, I even got like a bond from the New York State Education Department mm-hmm. um, to, for my accomplishments and also 
um, I got a scholarship into an art school museum that was here in Manhattan. Okay. Um, so it pretty much, yeah, it was just like my, it was something I enjoyed and it was like paper and pen. You can't go any, can't go wrong with that. Like you could do a lot of things such as paper, paper. I would watch lamb, cho- lamb chops, Sherry and Lamb Chop. That was a show that was on with the puppet. Okay. I would get gratification from watching stuff like that and be able to create something new, like books, reading rainbow, stuff like that. Like it helped me survive. Yeah. It helped me survive mentally. It helped me survive not having friends. It made me um, okay with being me. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you mentioned that, so this is all what's starting around elementary school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we could go a bit forward up to like, you mentioned junior high, um, were there any, you were with the same people, so you're living in the same place? In the same neighborhood. Okay, in the same neighborhood. It was really a close-knit neighborhood okay. of Southerners. Um, and I really like that about the neighborhood. So growing up there, and I'm coming from a Caribbean background, it was slightly different because my to my parents, that was something different. Being from another country, American ways were different. So my mom tried to keep me close to home all the time because of the outside influences. Like on the block, which I didn't know, was like, which I never understood at first, was crack houses and, you know, drug houses. Like I didn't know. And like a friend in class would be like if I made a friend in class and then I'll be visiting their house, which is on the same block, but across the street. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that his, maybe his family member was, his mother or father were, were in a crack house or something. Mm-hmm. So I will be yelled at and banned from going mm-hmm. there. And my mom kind of just was, would be very upset, but I wouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of became conflictive and kind of like I can't make friends in the neighborhood. Like my mom would be very strict about that, but I didn't understand. And today I understand, but when I was younger, I I felt like nothing mattered. Like that's just my friend. Like just because of whatever you're talking about, that's my friend though. Like what did my friend do? So it'll be weird stuff like that to me, not understanding. But the neighborhood was basically close-knit families of like Southern families that stuck with each other and they they were friends with each other on the block. And they would try with me, but I was the oddity. So it was like Destin. (laughs) Um, So did you grow up with kind of like uh, a kind of like Caribbean tradition um, Mm -hmm. and what was that like? Uh, Caribbean food. Mm -hmm. I did not listen to American music so Mm -hmm. I did not know what American music (laughs) was for many years Mm -hmm. and then I discovered (laughs) 106.7 Light FM Mm -hmm. at the time um, um, with 
what's oh, um, bon, um, John Bon Jovi mm-hmm. um, with uh, oh, the infamous, you know, Barbara Streisand, mm-hmm. um, Cher, I'll hear that music, but I still didn't know like ethnic black culture music. Mm. Um, and I didn't know, like it was literally surrounding me in my neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, I heard it in class, like for the first time, like my teacher played it mm. and it was a song that um, they had us listen to, but I didn't understand mm. where it came from. So everybody was like, what's wrong with you? How do you not know who Michael Jackson is? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, mm. you know, and um, how do I not know who Tevin Campbell was and stuff? So it was kind of like, how do I say, oh, because, you know, I didn't even know my mom was an immigrant. Mm. So I didn't know what was the difference between me and them. I just thought it was just my family's my family and we're all different. Mm. But I never understood that. Um, and I mean, my mom was very strict to a lot of things regardless. And I was fine with that. Um, but we ate different food, you know, the Caribbean rice, curry, stuff like that. I knew nothing about Southern smothered chicken, smothered chicken, pork chops or anything. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about collard greens and things. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was basically uh, different in that aspect. So when others would talk about it, I want to understand. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that was like the, the, the icing on the cake about why I was odd, or mm-hmm. a nerd in a different way. I was also mm-hmm. s- smart, mm-hmm. so um, people would try to have me do their homework and stuff. Huh. Yeah, um, it, it was it was a big bullying time. So, you know, I'm a little traumatized by, by a lot of my growing up. So this is kind of like a first for me. Yeah. Like, um, trying to remember everything. Mm-hmm. But, um, my gender was, I was molested at five, um, my relatives, um, my cousins and. That was like the pivotal point at five and female and male cousins. And it was kind of scary because um, I was already going through something mentally about how I felt or the things that I did, Um, but I didn't understand what I was going through. But I was molested by these cousins and I was threatened if I told my mom mm-hmm. that my mom will will be upset at me. Mm-hmm. So in my head I'm thinking oh, my mom will be upset at me um, telling her this stuff and it was my fault. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So I just um, I dealt with it and but I also, like in elementary school, like that was like my separate mind. My separate minds didn't understand what was going on inside of me because I 
felt like like I wasn't myself. Mm-hmm. I felt that I was not expressing who I could be or who I want to be. And I kept it to myself because inside of, in the Caribbean household or in the Caribbean, it's not um, right. Um, You could face persecution in the Caribbean back then. Um, Just being feminine or whatever, you know, and I would get called out about my femininity at a young age. Um, but I wasn't so much feminine, but I would do things with girls and boys. And so I was, boys didn't understand why I would hang out with girls and play double Dutch, Hmm. but I didn't understand either. Like I thought everybody was free to do whatever they wanted to do. But as age, as you get older, people start putting rules on you. And so what are you doing? That's wrong. You're not supposed to do that. Or, you know, come play basketball with me. Come play football with me. Come play. Why are you playing house? Why are you hanging with her or, you know, them? And it just, it used to confuse me a lot. So. I was just checking. Okay. It used to confuse me a lot. And um, that was always in the back of my head. And, why I was quiet mm. on one spectrum because I didn't I didn't understand me. Yeah. And um, the breaking point was gym, junior high school, okay. and that was the pivotal point mm. where I I did not want to go inside of the locker room. Hmm. I did not really want to play sports. Mm-hmm. I did not want to anything like anything pertaining to it. I, I also, I still didn't go to lunch. <laughs> I still was inside of the library. I still mm-hmm. try to get away from there or I would sit by myself and I would just endure problems. But I found music as my outlet. So, but um, I just felt like it was that gender, that that was the point where I became more aware that I don't want to go, you know, that I don't like masculine things too much or I don't want to be around other boys. Mm. I don't want to be around other boys at all. Mm in that way not that I liked any of them I didn't want to be around an area where I would have to take off my clothes so it was like kind of weird like it was that point that I that everything kind of halted for me like what's happening wait why am I going to the lockers Mm -hmm. or you know like I could get dressed at home Mm -hmm. how about I just and I would I would to put my clothes underneath Um, and just take them off and then go and put them back on. Hmm. And I would not use the locker to take a shower or anything. Hmm. So it was just kind of 
weird, but I still didn't know what was wrong with me. Mm. So I knew I was just doing certain stuff and um, that was different yeah. for people to understand. But I was trying to keep it so, like, enclosed, like, hidden from everybody that it just came off weird to other people. Mm. So I excelled at education, though. Yeah. I excelled at science, math, <laughs> everything else. But social, social became difficult, mm. um, being social through my years it became the most difficult part and so I'm wondering like you're talking about the ways in which like you felt different or people perceived you differently and so but like not really having like a name or an identity for that yet and I'm wondering when you started to like get that or see or like understand the sort of like vocabulary for what you were experiencing um so all those years, elementary to junior high school, I would take my, um, excuse my language, mm. ass whooping mm. from my my classmates or whatever. And I like, I sucked it up and kept it moving. Yeah. Um, I also, I was writing mm. and I was becoming more close with spirituality, close with people, I would read a lot of books. My my stepdad would have me read a lot of books. My my mom and stepdad would have me reading a lot of books, and I became more, more, um, like I would have empathy for people like with cancer or things like that or runaway children. Mm-hmm. I would read all these books mm-hmm. about sadness. Um, Shakespeare was like one of my favorite, <laughs> like books to read. And um, I would start writing. Mm-hmm. I would write a lot of poetry, but the poetry started to get dark. Mm-hmm. And it used to talk about like being in the shadow of of a wall. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Being connected with sadness, mm-hmm. and I remember it kind of. I did it for a class one time, mm. and my mom was called to the school, mm. and it was a big no-no. Mm. And my mother also didn't know that I was being bullied in school. Um, so there was just a lot of sadness being stored inside me. So when she did come, the teacher said, oh, well, you need to teach your child to fight. Mm. My mom did not believe in fighting. I listened to my mom because I had to come home to my mom. Yeah. And my mom was very strict and I'm there for one thing. And you're talking about fighting. I, I don't want to fight. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to fight. And so that was brought to my mom's attention and all this other stuff. And then I realized that I was lacking in masculinity in mm-hmm. some type of way. And that was in elementary school. Sorry to go back to that. No, of course. But that was in elementary school that I was lacking in some type of way. When I wrote that poem, when mm-hmm. attention started to come to me, mm-hmm. 
but I didn't think anything was wrong. I was literally, I guess I was going through, I don't know. Like I, I felt like that inside and I expressed it through writing. So my mom became more aware of monitor my writings. She'll, she'll take it and she'll rip it up or she'll like, stop it. She'll get bad at me and mm-hmm. she'll get angry at me. And it started, it just became more difficult. I was also getting involved. I started playing instruments in mm-hmm. elementary school mm-hmm. and I played like the trumpet, the trombone, mm-hmm. the tuba, the drums. I was in the marching band. Wow. I was playing the glockenspiel. Mm-hmm. I would start to do stuff to take my mind off of things. So I would go to um, after school programs um, and I learned knitting. I've learned sewing. I've learned um, instruments. I would go for vocals. Um, and then into elementary school, I started to do the same thing. Got into the main chorus band. Mm-hmm. And I would, um, I was in the musical plays. Mm-hmm. My mom didn't know about any of those. Wow. I didn't tell her. I just did. Like, I was just doing stuff to take my mind off of things. So the music and the, the after-school programs, they kind of helped me not think too much mm-hmm. about my problems. And I would work, I started work at the library in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started reading the books about patients and um, cancer patients, runaways, and then I ran into the book about gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ran into a book about transgender sex change. Hmm. And I kind of highlighted it and was like, wow. But I thought it was like a story. And I didn't believe, but I was Hmm. like, wanted to believe. Hmm. And I started to put pieces together bit by bit, Hmm. but not understand what I was paying attention to. Because the word wasn't transphobic, trans, transgender. Yeah. It wasn't that. I don't remember what it was, but it just described Hmm. that. And, um... Because when I would work in the library, I was shelving and I would run into different books and stuff and I would just start reading them. Mm -hmm. So I didn't understand Mm -hmm. what what was that about. But then I would see Michael Jackson and his 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 look has changed. And I would say, okay, wow. So a person can change themselves. Then I got I had a hernia. I had, was born with a hernia and I got surgery done to it. And I was like, wow, that's real. You could actually change yourself. Mm-hmm. And I started to just see things on TV. And I was like, but it wouldn't be about gay or transgender. But there was one time they talked about Joan's speech. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I gotta find Joan's speech. <laughs> and I didn't know where I was going, mm-hmm. but this girl who was um, who knew me from school, she asked me, she said, do you want to go to Joan's Beach? So I don't know if she was just playing, this was 
graduate after graduation of junior high school. Okay. I didn't know if she was just playing with me, but she said she wanted to go. Uh-huh. And I said, yes. And I waited for her at the train station and she never showed up. Uh-huh. And I was like, I was trying to figure things out. And then I finally went to, I went on my own, mm-hmm. but I got lost. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up on that train looking around and looking at the people and I ran I saw somebody of LGBT experience LGB LG yes B experience from the flamboyancy Mm. and I was like I'm gonna follow them (laughs) and I followed them Uh like a creep Uh and I I sit there and I watch and I watch through the, the mirrors, not the mirrors, but the, the glass of the um, trains. Yeah. And I would just watch the reflection and I would get off wherever I thought they were getting off at in Manhattan. Because okay. now I'm looking for the village. Oh. And I could hear them talk the village. Uh-huh. And they didn't really go where I thought they were going. <laughs> I didn't know where they were going. Mm-hmm. But then I saw them go into a place and it had a flag. And I was like, wow. So the flag. So I associated the flag. And I was like, okay. It was like a, a store, like a, um, a store with postcards and so on. So I went in there and I would start to visit the place all summer. Huh. And then I would just like come back to the area, but still didn't know where the village was. I didn't know what the village was. I just knew there was a village. Okay. And I would just go to stores with that flag or try to go to places with that flag. Hmm. And then I found this, the LGBTQ, the LGBT center. It used to be the gay and lesbian center before. Yeah. And that's what I found. And I went there and it was kind of like, yay. <laughs> but everybody was older. Hmm. It was older. Um, and I didn't, it was weird because I didn't identify as gay, Yeah. nor did I feel that way, mm-hmm. but I felt like I was home mm. amongst people who were comfortable with me. And, but everybody was older at the, at the Gay and Lesbian Center and they had classes I didn't understand about, but I would go into the writing class mm-hmm. and I met somebody who was from my country mm-hmm. who wrote about being um, a lesbian and but she was raped mm. by several men mm-hmm. and how she expressed it through her writing and so this was me learning yeah about what it is to be in the LGBT community at that point this is me learning from older people mm. like how real issues are and that was my first perspective about what was going on and then I met people who liked me who asked me to come to the village down to Christopher Street (coughs) no no problem I never understood what that meant Christopher Street and I'm like no 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 then one time I finally went down with them and 
discovered a, a youth center for LGB. Mm-hmm. And that's when it really started to, like, everything started to make sense. I was, like, putting pieces of a puzzle together. Yeah. And things start to happen. So, like, if you're in the wrong place, um, things won't happen. But yeah. when you start to find pieces to the the to the right puzzle then everything starts to happen and everything kind of accelerated at that point and that was the age of this was the age of 14. oh wow it was the age of 14. so i I graduated at 13. i started discovering Mm -hmm. you know and it took a very long process before understanding so that whole year after graduating Junior high, like I thought that was adulthood. Like, yes, I'm, I'm going to be an adult. Uh-huh. And that was when I started to learn more about sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't understand it. Um, and then I, my first experience sexually, I was, I didn't know it was going to be my first experience, mm-hmm. but, um, I was speaking to this guy, I was like, hey, and I was like, okay, this is interaction mm-hmm. with people and with the guy and stuff like that. And I'm trying to discover. And I went to his house and he raped me. Mm-hmm. And I, it was the most painful situation. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just sitting right out the door. Mm-hmm. Like I thought I was actually gonna hang out with you know, but he was an adult and I should have known better. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, okay. And it just kind of like got sent out the door and it was, you know, it was, it was a very horrible feeling because like I just immediately upon coming into his house, he just immediately mm-hmm. just did everything. And um, I left, went home was like I didn't like this mm-hmm. and it's how my mom or dad mm-hmm. um, and I was like whatever and I just said okay maybe I need to try this again mm-hmm. and so I said okay let me go try it again I aim for the sexual experience instead of the understanding yeah this the following time mm-hmm. and then that was that was not satisfactory as in there was no feeling mm. behind it and sexually yeah. and I thought that the person could have been attractive you know he was very masculine and stuff like that and I wanted to try it mm-hmm. but it wasn't um, satisfactory at all. Like it was, I, I had no feelings mm-hmm. in the context of like I had no connection. Yeah. And then going to that center, I ended up um, um, dealing with a partner mm-hmm. who was around my age, was youth considered youth that went to the youth center. Yeah. And. That person became my boyfriend, and that person I had sex with, and 
I did not like it. Mm-hmm. It was not me. Mm-hmm. And so that person didn't understand. I wanted to kind of like separate. And they were they were nice, but they were they were masculine and everything. But it was like a lot of people were coming at me in that perspective, but I didn't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then one guy, I went to his house, and this is the sexual part. Mm-hmm. I went to his house, and like, he was awesome. He was nice, he was everything. And we had intimacy, mm-hmm. and it felt great. Mm-hmm. And I felt he was awesome. And he was very, very masculine. And he was, but he was very caring and a, a caring person and stuff. And it took him a while to mack me <laughs> in the, the span that I thought was a long time. Yeah. And, but he had a lover, mm-hmm. which was masculine mm-hmm. as well. And I was in their house and the partner wanted to fight me. And this is the first time I've ever been in a situation with lovers or they're together and I'm imposing and yeah. I'm, I'm there and that person wanted to be with me and the partner's like, no, and the person is masculine. And I said, I said, oh wait, I am not like that. I don't like gay, or gay masculine or masculine. Mm-hmm. And that I found that weird, mm-hmm. masculine or masculine. I felt like it should be a feminine aspect with masculine. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this doesn't feel, for me, Yeah, I felt like it should be feminine aspect with masculine. Mm-hmm. And I felt really odd and I just kind of like left mm-hmm. and didn't like speak to him again. Mm-hmm. And so within that time, that's when I kind of like had to understand me. Mm-hmm. I still have never saw a girl like myself at that time. I still haven't seen a person who was of trans experience. Mm-hmm. And then come to find out that my ex-boyfriend was trans. Huh. He The first one? The first one. Yeah. He was trans. Somebody asked me, do I know where she is at? Mm-hmm. And then told me where to find her. Uh-huh. And I said, what? And my curiosity got me. Mm-hmm. And then they pointed me to what is called the stroll, okay. um, which is where the girls all prostituted to make mm-hmm. money in the city. Mm-hmm. And I went there looking for my boyfriend slash girlfriend, mm-hmm. ex-girlfriend slash boyfriend. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm looking for her. And... That was the point of relief. Mm. It was like, I finally saw girls like my, like who I wanted to be like. Yeah. I finally discovered, finally discovered everything I wanted to be mm. at that moment. I was so negative before. Mm. And then when I saw them, I became happy inside like all my my sadness and everything as a child my isolation my bullying Mm -hmm. nothing mattered anymore Mm -hmm. 
I found peace within myself by just seeing this alone. And that was in the year of changing 14. Wow. That was the summer. So this was all the summer of being 14? And I transitioned immediately. Okay. And I started taking hormones Mm. off the streets immediately. Mm. I started um, taking shots, pills. Um, My mom, she thought I was gay because the person, my boss at my job told her Mm. that I was. And my mom, um, at that point, because she didn't know anything I was doing before. Yeah. My mom, at that point, kind of just kicked me out of the bedroom with my brother. Mm-hmm. And more came to the conclusion that I was trying to, that I was going to molest my brother. Mm-hmm. Or something, rub off on my brother or something. Um... I was brought the scriptures, the biblical scriptures, and said that, you know, it's persecuting me. Mm -hmm. And I was told to sleep in the raw basement of the house. And it was just cold cold and just no walls or anything. And that's when my life kind of just changed. And then I just had to like kind of deal with it, but I wasn't gonna stay in the in the raw basement, so I stayed out on the streets. And I went to a friend's house, and I started just staying by a friend's house. I just knew I didn't want to go home. I didn't tell anybody what was going on. I just didn't want to be home. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, oh my goodness. Did I let you ask me any other questions? (laughs) Um, I mean, I have a few, but I'm really just interested in where you're going. Um, But just maybe... (coughs) Yes, I apologize. Um, No worries at all. Um, But yeah, so I guess maybe I just, like, have a couple kind of, like, clarifying questions. Um, So, uh, the stroll, where you first saw, like, women like you, where was that? 14th Street and 8th Avenue. Okay. Okay. 14th Street and 8th Avenue to 9th Avenue. That was it. And um, the Meatpacking District. Yeah. And, um, like, that's that's where all the, the tossaways were. Mm-hmm. But they were beautiful mm-hmm. and amazing. Um, but that was their struggle. Yeah. They were definitely not going to get employed, yeah. and they were definitely not going to um, um, be able to just live normal life. And mm-hmm. so, you were told you had to do what you have to do, because mm-hmm. um, ain't nobody else going to do for you. And the thing about it is that they helped each other. Yeah. So, some of them will be roommates, and um, they will help each other, like live life comfortably Mm -hmm. and that's where I saw it and you know these people were these women were amazing to me Mm -hmm. they looked amazing and it didn't they made working the streets look glamorous Mm -hmm. but you know 
and this was it. Like that was that was it. Fourteenth Street, eighth between eighth and and ninth, mm-hmm. and yeah. And I mean, I'm just like, I'm really kind of inspired by the way that you're like talking about like finding the stroll and like having that be like a really pivotal moment for you. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, just like if you could like describe the scene the night that it happened, like it was like this raw bar. Okay. Uh-huh. So it was like, I came down mm-hmm. and I was, I was walking down to 14th street, never been there before. Yeah. I'm walking down. I didn't know where all these places are, which they're just in, in blocks away from each other, but I had no idea. Uh-huh. And the center is on 13th street. Yeah. So I had no idea. And, um, but it's, it's, it was at night. So what I would do is I would get up and I would, I, I, I mean, I got up that day and I was with another friend because mm-hmm. come to find out that, um, this person was dating me and my, my, my new friend huh. who we call, called each other's sisters at the time. Well, bristers because we were not transitioned, but we were yeah. feminine. Yeah. And so we found out that we were dating the same person at the same time. And we were kind of like offended, like, wait a minute. And then because she, he at the time would tell us that they wanted to get back with us and everything and they're flossing off. They were a football player. Wow. Uh, Exactly. Like, you know, and we're like, what? And we're like tinier than them like we're like what and we're like both the femmes and we're like and then come to find out that she was on the stroll Mm -hmm. so we went up there and we went together and we were looking and we were we were being so mean like we're gonna find her and we were saying her name out loud Mm -hmm. and like from masculine to feminine, and we were just saying it back and forth, but we were happy. Uh-huh. We were skipping down the block, and we're like, <laughs> we're gonna find, and like, it was weird, like we both were happy. Mm-hmm. And we started going down that block, and then we got there, and we didn't, we never found her. Hmm. But we found the girls, and we were just like, <sighs> and for both of us, we both started to, become more feminine Mm. we started to like up our game Mm. and you know i didn't know what was going on with her and i know she didn't know what was going on she's now she now my my friend we didn't know what was going on with each other like we just knew yeah we found the spot Mm. (laughs) that we saw all these you know amazing and we could talk about them like seeing them underneath that the, the 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 light <laughs> from the street light yeah but how beautiful they were they were expressing themselves and mm-hmm. they looked amazing and they they like you couldn't believe that they they had a past yeah. and we were just like wow <laughs> and we were just stand from a distance oh my goodness are they really far too like mm-hmm. and we were just keep it to each other and and it was just it was happiness to just find 
glamorous. They were glamorous. They were out there not not in like hoochie mama. They were literally glamorous with like gems, buns going into their hair, long lashes and nothing street walker like. Mm -hmm. They were giving you glamour Mm -hmm. and an environment or giving you somewhat glamorous Mm -hmm. on the street. Mm -hmm. And they were hanging it with each other in groups and like the lights and the the street and the way I mean this place was the dumps but the way the light shined in certain ways there'll be like this club over here not it was like a bar Mm -hmm. and a bar here and and they were the most biased bars (laughs) that you could ever find and they did not like the girls but the girls would just walk around and hey honey how are you hey girl <laughs> like and everybody was just you know just a unity they even had some girls driving around in driving around in cars mm-hmm. and it was just everybody was so looked so happy mm-hmm. and that's when you knew that you can make your own happiness mm-hmm. and that's when we were like, wow. Um, I was like, like amazed, and that's when the answers started to come to me, and and like eventually, um, I remember I got a job. Mm-hmm. I I found found um, organizations yeah. to get training from. Mm-hmm. And school to get my GED okay. because at that point um, everything was really bad at my house okay. with my identity mm-hmm. and um, the I basically um, became an emancipated minor okay. um, by the age of sixteen mm-hmm. and I um, through the help of the court and. Uh, um, through the door, the door organization okay. over by Spring Street, mm-hmm. um, which is another place that I used to go to um, to escape and just, you know, eat and be around positive energy, regardless. Yeah. And the LGBT Center helped me uh, find GMHC, which is where I got um, certified to be a work team facilitator okay. by the age of 15. Wow. And um, I wrote the first trans brochure, mm-hmm. um, trans brochure, resource brochure uh-huh. ever. No organization had them. So it was like in this time, I was just discovering stuff, but I also noticed that there wasn't anything yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. And so GMHC, I mean, they were, the, that's when Albert was there. Mm-hmm. Albert was the, the, I would call her the mother of the house of latex. Okay. And like, I another friend introduced me to Albert and Albert took a liking to me and, and asked me if I wanted to do some training here. Mm-hmm. And they would um, get certified. I'm like, yeah, totally. I'm gonna get certified in something. I'm gonna get, you know, let me get the, the, um, the what do you call it? The certifications and then they also gave you money hmm. so it was like okay great and then I get um, money for finishing it 
So I'm like this, or coming to the trainings. And so, of course, I'm gone because I don't have the money and I don't have anything. And so then um, I got a job as a um, outreach worker at Positive Health Project. Okay. And I got into a school called Safe Safe Space. Okay. It used to be on 41st, 44th or something. Okay. Um, and I would go to the GED school. So I would learn about different resources through different organizations, hmm. not specifically for trans, but for, for um, um, gay and lesbian at the time. Yeah. So nobody really acknowledged um, like the girls. And I only used to get dressed like at night. Hmm. And so it was like, okay, okay. And I started to, to make accomplishments within our community. Mm-hmm. And I started to, to outreach working to that same stroll. And then I found out that it was also on 42nd Street, a stroll. And I started to discover that how much bigger Mm -hmm. and these places was. And so I would provide condoms. Mm -hmm. And it was weird because I I understood that there was an epidemic. And I understood about using condoms. But I didn't understand how much at risk my community was. I mean... At the time, it was we wanted to be part of that community. Yeah, I didn't understand what they were going through. I was just seeing the glamour, mm-hmm. and I was working for the organization as an outreach worker. And I would be there all the time, and I'd be going there. It was a, it was a also a needle exchange program. Okay, so that's why I got introduced there because also, like, um, um, they did needle exchange for trans. But it wasn't big. Yeah. Um, but it was also for safety of um, transmission, safe transmission safety, being able to prevent transmission of anything through blood, through needles and stuff like that. So it, you know, it 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 opened my eyes to more of what trans community was at risk for, mm-hmm. and so. We had, we created these groups for people to come to Hmm. and for girls to come to where there was no groups. Uh And I started just going to different places and I'm handing out condoms (laughs) and I'm just like happy to see more girls. And I'm like walking around and I get to be myself Mm -hmm. and I get to be, cause like, I was like, I used to call myself androgynous. And I was just the androgynous look. And so I'm like, I love myself. I don't need anything. I, you know, I just want to get my change. Mm-hmm. And that's all I wanted was my, my change. Mm-hmm. It was like everything I knew, that's all I wanted. And that's all I needed. I just, I'm growing my hair mm-hmm. and I'm going to get my change. Hmm. And that was it. And I just started like, I would work in the, I would go down to the village and I pass out the condoms and I'll go to the stroll and I passed out the condoms and then I was arrested. Mm. And that was the most amazing thing to be arrested, Mm. not because I did anything, 
my first arrest. Yeah. Not because I did anything, because I was trans and I was in a trans stroll environment. But I was walking around with my ID, Mm -hmm. with my bag, passing out condoms, and I was arrested, and I didn't understand. And me and another person, um, and we were were in jail, and like, I went to to Central Booking, (laughs) and I went to Canal Street, uh, over by Central Booking, I guess, that was Canal. I had to bend over, and I had to spread my legs and I had to taken a picture of me and I thought it was the most hideous picture that a trans kid like I looked in my head I looked so horrible and I was like oh my god look at this picture and that's all I kept thinking about was the picture yeah and then I had to to, to drop my pants in front of all these men uh-huh. and it was just like so demeaning and you know, I was arrested for for solicitation, hmm. and I fought it. Like I, I fought it. Like I was surprised and everything. And like um, my job helped me fight the case, and it was dismissed. And come to find out years later that that was a false arrest. It was just to obtain numbers hmm. for that night, and everybody that was arrested. Um, received a lawsuit um, amount. I missed it, but yeah. <laughs> everybody, yeah, because I was between my transition and I didn't have a steady home and everything, and I didn't get notified, so I couldn't receive information about what, but everybody got like a large lawsuit out of that wow. who was made aware that it was just false um, a false arrest for obtaining numbers for their division. Oh, like just filling a quota. Yeah. Yeah. Cops have a quota that they have to fill out. And that's when I started to find out about that. And so when they get that quota, they, um, they, it keeps their division open. Mm -hmm. So that's a sad thing for cops. Yeah. But other people suffer because of it. So, um, that was my arrest. But I got into that environment. I kept going back and I started giving out <laughs> condoms. And I was considered the condom lady. And I started, yeah, there was the condom lady. And mm-hmm. I would take off my drag. But I would go back to an organization and, and, and get dressed or go inside a bathroom. Mm-hmm. And just start, like, okay, I'm getting ready and <laughs> stuff. And um, unfortunately, at that time... Um, I met another person who was just my friend. Like, I didn't want to be with anybody. I was happy. Mm-hmm. I was just being, you know, being able to transition and everything. And um, I was still kind of, like, lingering at my mom's house mm-hmm. because I, I didn't have a place to go yet okay. after being emancipated. Um, it just happened so quickly. And so I... Um, Kind of was like at my mom's house and go to other houses and stuff, but I was kind of consistently just working and getting my life together, yeah. even though my mother didn't understand what I was going through. Mm-hmm. I still was trying to do positive things and make her 
be aware of that I was doing positive things. Yeah. I still had to, you know, I slept at the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I slept at the door on the carpet by the the entry of the house. Mm. They would make me sleep there. Because mm. I, I wasn't going into that basement. Yeah. But at least I got to sleep by the door. Mm-hmm. And it would be cold, snowy days, everything. But it was like I wanted to prove to my my mom that no matter, I'm still me. Yeah. And I'm still trying to do positive things. But however that worked out, you know, whatever. Um, I worked at this organization and I was being... Um, one of the guys that I met at a ball, mm-hmm. which is um, the ballroom environment community, which I loved. Um, one of the guys that I met, I was his friend, and unfortunately, I didn't know that he was really kind of like stalking me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm like, I'm 16, I'm 15, yeah. changing 16. Mm-hmm. The emancipation happened when I was 16. He was around from 15 until I hit 16. And um, this person who was my friend and would know all the things I'm doing, do my job and everything, I was like helping the community, I'm doing all this stuff. Um, He liked me Mm -hmm. and I didn't know that he liked me. Um, He loved me, you know, he loved me. Like he would ask me for relationship advice and everything. Um, but I was oblivious to people who liked me, like, in general, anymore. Like, I was oblivious. Like, I was just happy. Like, I found who I was. It was never about trying to have sex with anybody or do anything. It was about finding me. And I finally found me. And that was just the solution for so much. And he... I... There was a, a little situation where somebody called me and was like, oh, that's my man. I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not, no, 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 that's just my friend. No, no, yeah. no, you can have him. I was like, oh, sorry, I don't, I, no. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not about that, you know, and I try to let him go and he, I, t- I try to like tell him, okay, no, I don't want to be. Yeah. And he showed up to my house mm-hmm. and I never told him where I lived at. And your, your mom's house? My mom's house. Oh, wow. I never told him where I lived at. And he told me, come outside. And I was like, um, I don't want to deal with you. Listen, I'm not a part of that. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, you better come outside now. And I came outside. Um, um, he said, I know where you live. Da, da, da. And he threatened to hurt my mom and my dad. And I, you know, I'm Caribbean. Mm-hmm. I'm already having issues. Yeah. I'm already trying to find myself. I'm having my own life outside of my house. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'm, I'm doing is bringing somebody to my home, yeah. my family's home, who does not believe in what I am. Mm-hmm. And my mom was pregnant at the time with my, my baby sister. Uh-huh. And I'm already the problem person and I I went out the door because you know just back in the day that was um landline phones yeah so 
um, I was like, hey, and he pulled out the blade out his mouth and he punched me in the face. And I saw snow, <laughs> like the poltergeist, like the, the TV screen when it's blank. Yes. Yeah. The old TV screen when it was blank. When it was like, shh. Yeah. I saw snow, and he said, "You're coming with me." And he went, and he pulled that dead blade out of his mouth, and he said, um, "You come back with me." And I walked away from home, and didn't return back for years. This man um, basically kidnapped me and pimped me out for for four years. I couldn't leave him. Um, He helped me at his another house. and um, sent me out to work every day. Mm. And I just lost myself. Mm. I was working at the organization, like he, I tried to get away from him and he'll wait outside of the job. He knew everywhere I was, he, was, he stalked wow. me. Wow. He knew all of my moves, my jobs, my school, everything. And come to find out, even people who I interacted with, would tell him, and I don't know if they would tell him knowing mm-hmm. what I was going through, but they would tell him where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, I even would leave with them and, 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 and try to escape him. Like, I was scared, and yeah. and yeah. his sister knew I was scared. Because mm-hmm. she even, he, he knocked down like a whole wall frame trying to get to me. Oh, wow. That's how strong he was. Uh-huh. And like, you know, I'm small. I was really small back then, like really skinny and mm-hmm. small. And, you know, I only weighed like maybe, uh, maybe a buck 30, a buck, a buck 20, buck 30. I wouldn't even gain weight. Yeah. And here I am. I was, I was shorter too. I was five, nine, okay. five, nine or five, eight or seven, mm-hmm. but I was, I was short. And yeah, I was about five, five, seven or five, eight. And I was short. He was six, three or something, six, oh, wow. two, six something. Six, yeah. And he was big. And this was just my friend. Mm-hmm. And this was supposed to be just my friend. And after that, I, he knew everything. Hmm. You know, my job, my this, my everything. He, he just knew everything about me. And I couldn't get out for years and I was scared for years Mm -hmm. and I was scared to say anything I mean I've even tried like being in front of the cops and that I found out later like I like I finally analyzed the situation later like oh that was during the Mayor Dinkins reign where the cops didn't care about anything and they let crime just go Mm -hmm. and you know, so I was one of those people that was so happy when Giuliani came in. <laughs> I was like, yes. You know, not knowing that he tarnished, like, a lot of New York. Like, he yeah. also changed it in a bad way. Mm-hmm. But I was, like, I was mishandled. And and 
had no freedom. Mm-hmm. And I had nothing but a prayer. And every day just praying and making money for somebody and being dragged up to everywhere. I'll be so tired mm-hmm. after coming from off the streets. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to be on the streets. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be trans and a statistic. I wanted to be trans and help mm-hmm. my community at the time. Yeah. I wanted to be trans and do something bigger and help. Yeah. And um, my life was ruined. Not ruined, but it was My, my youth was just taken away from me. Yeah. And my childhood, that was just, everything just kind of aligned itself where I may have not said everything growing up, but mm-hmm. I endured situations from home growing up. I endured situations not because of gender identity, but prior. Then I endured situations in school and I never expressed it because it was like a challenge between home and school and I just felt like that was my life. Yeah. And so I was quiet through that. And I trying to find myself. I f- at one point I finally did, mm-hmm. and then I fall back into something that I was already getting at home, mm-hmm. feeling being abused and being that abused situations in so many environments to going right into it with another person, a person who saw my vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I'm already broken as it is. So you could just keep beating down, you know, beating the bush, they call it. Yeah. And so when I finally escaped from him was when I was 19. He was arrested on the, the account of murder, murder. And um, warrants and everything, like, they all just finally got him. Mm-hmm. And I, I ran back to my mom's house. Mm-hmm. It's the only place I knew where to go. Yeah. And that was at 19. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell her what happened. I just came back. I didn't know how to explain any of that. Yeah. And so I went back in there and just kind of followed the cycle all over again, mm-hmm. going back to people who who um, didn't understand me or my lifestyle mm-hmm. and didn't understand this transition thing and didn't understand. So I, could, I was... I don't want to be like mention anything about my family, but 
it was hard. I, I'm trying to say it in a better way where it was hard for them to understand me. Yeah. So I wasn't considered a real person, but I have no, I have no ill will towards them. Yeah. I understand that they didn't understand, but it was hurtful. What I had to endure. So it's just, you know, I I know it gives it's like giving excuses, but it was just kinda I had to get out. I had to get out of one bad situation and the only thing I could think about was family. Yeah. And I went out of one pot into another pot and I still try to keep my head up high and be mistreated and I ended up going to friends and not having the right support we're doing all the wrong things and I don't want to be I know it was our survival and this is a thing so I'm going back to the streets. I'm not finding security. And I kind of just endured that for years until I just finally, until I just finally kept trying. And like, I, I, I kept trying and trying and trying. And it was like, I knew, I did not know where to go. And I didn't know, like, the shelter, which is, the shelter was just not treating us right. The, and I, I didn't really know anything about it, but it was like, I tried to go to the youth shelter, mm-hmm. and they would just, nobody kind of, like, knew how to, to to address me and it was so demeaning and I didn't understand and I was just being hurt so no matter where which way I was going I didn't know where to go Mm -hmm. except okay the streets is what I have to survive yeah and I, I ended up just finding an apartment finding a room um, in a part of Brooklyn, and I had a job and everything. Um, I ch- kept trying to do positive things, trainings yeah. and all the other stuff, but I I would have to go to the streets sometimes to make money, to to go to to school, mm-hmm. to have something to eat, to not be a burden on others, and it was just. Confusion. Yeah. And then my house was on fire on New Year's Eve. Like, hmm. it was like one thing after another. Yeah. You know, I went and got street silicone mm-hmm. placed in my, not sh- like literally off the streets, but yeah. I went to a underground street market for silicone to, to feel more like a, like, to be what guys wanted mm-hmm. in order to make more money. Yeah. And 
it affected my health and I it triggered systematic lupus in my system and that was at the age of 20. Wow. And everything just kind of went downhill from there. My health digressed. Um, I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know it was the silicone because so many other girls have gotten it. And then that's when I realized that there was another epidemic that was out there. And it was an underground epidemic where I've watched my girls die, get mistreated, get beaten, get murdered, all on a spectrum of trying to survive to be ourselves and have no place to go. And the only place that we did have was the stroll. Mm -hmm. And saying this stroll, it's not only that it was a stroll to us, it was a place where we found each other. And it, it didn't matter about us working. It mattered about us hanging out with each other and find solace in each other and and meeting with each other and knowing exact place Having where community. Yeah, yeah. It was our version of our village. Mm. And it didn't matter if the cops wanted to arrest us or whatever. You know, we just go across the street. It didn't matter if we didn't make no money for the night. It didn't matter anything. We met, we ate, we helped each other out. It didn't matter. Mm-hmm. We This was our meeting point. This was our village. This was our environment. And then the cops just started becoming more aggressive and started to just, just like, 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 when I say police brutality, it was police brutality. And, you know, the streets just started getting cleaned up more and, you know, it was just it was just hard for us because when you're dealing with all that trauma and then you're trying to find a job and you're trying to find a place to belong, you're trying to survive, you're trying to stay in a home and you you're you're at risk of losing your home, so you have to go to the streets, so you had need to eat, that nobody's trying to give you a job, nobody's trying to give you education, like they judge you even because you're 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 not your gender marker wasn't changed. And so those are the things like, I, I was like, okay, I have to help with this or stuff or let me let people know like, this is what we need and yeah. stuff. And, you know, I, it was, it was hard. You know, I was even arrested for going inside of a woman's bathroom. Wow. And the woman found out like, she didn't know at first, but then she realized and she called the police mm-hmm. and I'm inside Penn Station and you know, I was completely embarrassed. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you're getting me arrested for, for um, going into the women's. Where am I supposed to go? Yeah. And like, this is after the silicone, and like, I'm like showing the cops, like, where am I supposed to go? Mm-hmm. Like, do you see me? Do you see my body? Like, do you, I, I don't, I don't pull out to go use it. Like, I don't know that way, and. They were, they didn't care. Yeah. And it was, that was the environment that I had grown up in. Mm. That was my 
my my my tall tale. <laughs> my um, I was there, enduring so many problems from different angles. Yeah. The denial of school, yeah. work myself, denial of school. Even though I had a high grade, yeah. I got a high score, highest they've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. But because I was not identifying as male, they denied me the the resources. They denied me the school. They denied me stuff just because of that. Was this in the GED program that you were in? No, I got my GED. Okay, okay. I did get my GED on my own. Yeah. I studied one month. Mm -hmm. Like, even though I, I came out of that bad situation, I studied one month on my own Mm -hmm. and got my GD. I was trying, so 19 hit, Mm -hmm. and I was trying to get into other programs. Um, I tried to get into regular programs, and I would test and I would do everything because I wanted to get my life on track. I wanted to stop being judged. And they still, Mm -hmm. but hold on, um, you're gonna have to come to the office. We're gonna have to see you. Can you please give us your, you know, ID and everything? And I'll be slowly shoved right out the door. Yeah. You know, I didn't jobs, everything, and I was just so hurt from all those situations. And um, I just I got through them. I eventually like went into temp a temp agency. And I went in as me and I shaved all my hair off and I said, you're going to judge me for me. And I went in, you know, hoping that this will kind of help me to get my life together. And I went in as androgynous as I am. Mm -hmm. And I went in there and I was given an opportunity from the temp agencies. As long as you, as long as you were available, they needed you, and they didn't really see like it was like I was me. Yeah. So I was being more bold, and you know I was you know no hair, everything skinny and everything, and it gave model. Mm-hmm. So they just didn't see anything different. So they were giving me opportunities, and I was working for the biggest names here in New York City. Wow. John Coleman, um, Rockefeller, um, um, the Leona Hemsley building. And, oh, I don't know if I should have said that. (laughs) But I was given real opportunities, real experience, Mm. real something, a foundation to me becoming better. Yeah. And it it started to push through. Like, I became employed. Mm. And what age did you start with the temp agency? Um, 20, 22. Okay. 22. Okay. Before that, I went into a training program by the um, community um, courts. Mm-hmm. They had a job training program that I saw they had a flyer for. And I went in there and I took that training up for a office work work 
of uh, office manager, um, office specialist. So I worked in their own court environment, doing filings, doing um, doing mailroom services, doing um, um, stuff for the courthouse, and doing stuff for. Um, they hooked me up with an internship at the CLR James Institute. I almost forgot about it. Yeah, I worked at the CLR James Institute. And um, I started doing positive things and I just kept going and I kept like finding as much good things to do and just kept going and going and going. And I started to get the real foundation and it didn't matter about my gender. And then um, the Leone Hemsley building, they hired me. I don't know if I should have said that. (laughs) They they had hired me yeah. and they gave me position and I grew within that position mm. after almost dying. Oh yeah. And I'm sorry, I, I kind of skipped that part. Yeah, yeah. Um, the silicone head got into my lungs. Oh wow. And traveled into my lungs and encapsulated, and it also um, created, which we didn't know at the time, uh, the systematic lupus. <laughs> and come to find out, within my own family, I have. Um, genetic, um, it's a gene, um, immune, autoimmune dif- it, yeah. um, issues, yeah. is a genetic thing in my family from surgeons, surgeons' disease and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I had symptoms at a, as a kid, yeah. but nobody understood it. And so I just dealt with the issues. Yeah. But when I got the silicone in my body, that's what really triggered it. Okay. And so I was paralyzed two years later, um, it attacked my lungs hmm. and I became completely paralyzed and nobody understood what was wrong with me. Yeah. And so they, they, um, cut me open in different ways and, and tried to see what was wrong. Then they found the silicone in my lungs uh-huh. and they realized that it traveled through my bloodstream and they said I was going to die in the hospital. Wow. And they said I wasn't gonna make it past the hospital. And I almost gave up on life. And I said, no. I said, God, if you, in my head, to myself, I said, God, if you allow me, because at the time I couldn't speak. I was like a stroke victim. They couldn't speak. And I was just paralyzed and I couldn't tell them anything. So they had to do what they had to do. Yeah. And I couldn't walk. And I was just bedridden, mm-hmm. and they said it. They said I was gonna, I was gonna die in the hospital. A person who has had it's like um, the people at the nine eleven. Yeah. All that the, the silicone pneumonitis mm-hmm. is what they said I had, wow. and um, I was incapable of breathing for myself. Like they had to put me on so much painkillers to mm. restrict the pain mm. that I was having. But they said I wasn't going to make it out. And I remember this was during the, I think, the re-election for Bush. Wow. At the time, I think it was. And Mr. Carey was in it. So this was 2004? Probably. Wait, uh, Maybe. Was it 2004? Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
So I'm missing a, sp- a, a spot. <laughs> I'm missing a spot. But yeah, that was, oh, the fire. Yeah. So the fire happened. I became homeless. Mm-hmm. And I was out on the streets. Yeah. And they sent me to a, a shelter. And in that shelter, they were calling me him. Mm-hmm. His, this, that. I was being threatened by um, people who lived there. And made fun of the whole time at the time and this is just my encounter just coming in for just a few days and they had tried they um the people that worked were there disrespected me and the the police disrespected me and they assaulted a person that was with me because they were they were um cis male and they identified that with but they were my partner and they attacked them on randall's island and we we couldn't even go to the police to 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 say anything they said a cop it was the 125th precinct. They said a cop make a complaint against a cop, and they went and they laughed. Oh my god! Yeah. And that was at that time when that happened, and I was hurt by that, and I left him. Mm-hmm. Not I left him. We left the shelter immediately, but I left him because I didn't want him to endure consequences of being with me and it hurt me to see him be attacked just because I was trans and after that I just I left and I actually left and went to Florida Hmm. and I got sick because of smoke inhalation I started Mm -hmm. to feel worse Hmm. and I came, that's when I came back to New York. Okay. And I ended up in the hospital. <laughs> so how long were you in Florida overall? Um, I don't know. Hmm. It was the fire, and then I got the GED first. Mm-hmm. Then the fire. I got my body done. Yeah. Then I got the, the job. I got I got my body done. I got the the training. Yeah. From that um the the off the, the community office there. Yeah. Then I got the 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 first job I got was at Adapt. Okay. Which was um um an organization down down in Brooklyn, A D A P T, and um dot a dot d dot because there's another adapt okay which is i think insurance or something like that okay i worked for an organization which is um um drug prevention and inter- intervention mm-hmm. um training where i guess um i did more training at the red cross okay for my and able to teach others about um hiv aids awareness mm-hmm. and 
other um, other 101 HIV, 101, 102, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I worked there, and that's when the fire happened. And between that time, and then I left, and then came back. Okay. okay. So it was that first. Got out of that bad relationship. Went into that sad situation. Ended up on the streets, but still trying to make it. Went and studied my own on my own. Got baptized in between that. Mm. Took my GD test. Got it by twenty, and um, um, ended up going and getting my certification because you need your your diploma in order to basically succeed first in New York City. Yeah. Then I instead of doing the nonprofit organizations cuz in between that time I was trying to do the nonprofit organizations and realized that it wasn't going to help me. That's when I went into corporate and I said let me do corporate and that's when um I was uh, coming back from Florida, going into the nonprofit organization, and then that's when I was paralyzed. Okay. Did that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the timeline. Like timeline. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The time. The timeline. Some of them wasn't mine anymore to have, mm-hmm. and you know, I kind of got a kind of just got lost in the streets. So a lot is because I had no foundation or no security or no home. Yeah. So nothing to like measure it by. Right. Yeah. So when I came back and I was in the hospital and it was that Bush Carry run. Okay. It was a Bush Carry run. I was in the hospital at the time mm-hmm. and I was paralyzed and they said I wasn't gonna live past there. And I was in the hospital for a month, okay. um, and I that's when I made the prayer, and I said, God, please get me, and I, I will live. Because I was still, before that, I was sad Akasha. Hmm. I, I, I was trying to be optimistic, but I was more pessimistic because of how life treated me yeah. thus far. Hmm. And after that... I guess when somebody tells you that you're going to die, mm-hmm. you kind of just, I didn't even get to live. Yeah. And that was the pivotal point, the epiphany mm-hmm. that I wanted to live. And I said, God, if you, in my head, I said, God, if you allow me to out of this hospital, I will start to live life. Mm-hmm. And I left with my legs still feeling numb. <laughs> I had no feeling but the painkillers and everything that they gave me in order to help me with my breathing, it gave me breath, but I still didn't have feeling. Mm. And so I went and I would, I would kind of wobble and I went back to my mom's house again. Mm-hmm. And of course that is not, wasn't a good idea, mm-hmm. but it's what I needed. But it's the stability in my mind is I know they're stable and I know they don't do bad things, but they, but I know that they don't 
agree with me. But I need to do this. And so I went back there, you know, despite knowing what problems may happen. And I just immediately went into the temp agency and started like, here I go, here, this is all I have. I need your help, please, calling every day, signing up with all different organizations, and Randstad being one of them, which is not too far from here. That was that was my temp agency. Okay. And they helped me. And then um, professionals for nonprofits. These places, these temp agencies worked at the time. And I just started just pushing through. And this is when temp agencies really worked and they, they had big jobs. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and I, I was there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just get myself together, get myself together. Let me try to see if I could afford this, to just have it taken away. Um, let me try, hoping that one day I could try, but still trying to just live life. Like, if I die within this time, at least I try it. Mm-hmm. And I started to just, like accept the world around me mm-hmm. and start to look at the beautiful things all over again as when I was that kid, five years old, younger than five, in Boston, watching the trees and everything. I started to appreciate mm-hmm. the, 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 what's around me, the trees, the stars, the, the, the moon. I would go to the park. I would, um, I met somebody who also helped me, a partner, mm-hmm. who helped me look forward to look at everything and try to enjoy life. And we would also go to the library together. This one right here. The Schwartzman. Yeah. Right here. <laughs> and I would pick up Spanish classes and I would just, I, I had to have a sense of normalcy. Yeah. Because even though I went to the village, and I did all of that, it still separated me from normalcy, what everybody else experiences, Mm -hmm. when I've only thought about how harsh life treated me on those streets, and the people, and losing friends and sisters, all, you know, these girls that I considered my sisters, and just seeing murder and stuff like that, and Fighting clients, when I worked on the street, I, I, I fought, mm-hmm. I've been attacked, I've been robbed, I've been raped, I've been held at gunpoint, I've been, mm-hmm. that was the streets yeah. that I didn't get to, to, to that I didn't mention. Yeah. That was, I, I've gone without clothes, money, like wearing the same outfit every day and washing my underwear out just to. And, and just changing, just just changing shoes or whatever, not being human, feeling like an animal. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, I think that was like what I felt like all those years. Mm-hmm. An animal mm-hmm. guided and told what it is that I could and cannot do. And when my life was going to be taken away from me, it finally became aware that I am human, mm-hmm. 
and I need to live life. Not as everybody says I have to, as I want to. And the job I was at, I met celebrities and I met designers and I met, and they would say, well, why is it that you're not pursuing your dream? And I'm, I didn't, I couldn't tell them. I didn't, I didn't even want to, to say anything about gender or anything. They said, you need to pursue your dreams. And these were dreams as a kid, my writing, my um, directing, producing, um, music, everything, singing and stuff. I, it was so weird because when those celebrities visited that building, I was working for the management. I don't, I, can't, I, I don't know if I should be saying it, but I worked for the management office. In the management office, everybody needed our help. And we had to basically take care of this building that was like the same size as Macy's. Okay. And this company gave my opportunity as permanency. They loved me and they kept me on permanently. Oh, wow. And they hired me and gave me my yearly salary. And I'm young and I'm, I'm like, I, I'm going forward because I'm thinking positive and I'm seeing positive. And when I did that, um, I met all these celebrities wow. that just came to the building, Regis and, and Kelly, uh -huh. not Kathy, but <laughs> Kelly. Um, 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 Iman's husband, um, uh, Springsteen, was it Springsteen? Um, Iman. Bowie? Bowie. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, um, encouraging mm -hmm. people who have so much and treat you like so respectful. Re they respect you. Yeah. They don't look down on you. Mm -hmm. They have so much. I've met so many people that have so much. And it was so funny because rich people treat you like a normal person and talk to you, engage with you like a normal person. And it was like the middle class will treat you like beneath you, yeah. like you're beneath them, like you're not relevant. But all these people I would interact with, designers, everything, they thought it was so nice, so cool, so everything, and kept saying, pursue, pursue, pursue. Mm. And I said, no, <laughs> I need security. Mm -hmm. And I finally left corporate at, I finally, Within my mind, within that time, I'm already knowing that I'm going to die soon. Mm -hmm. And that was on my mind. Yeah. And I was getting sicker mm -hmm. and it was getting sicker and I would have more symptoms and more things would happen. And I just wanted to just live my best life. All that I have left from trying to be me mm -hmm. to living, just living. Yeah. And seeing the good in everything instead of the, the sad and the negative, the mean, mm -hmm. and having this positive mentality. And I would go around and I would try to pass on positive. And just like these people I would meet, I would try to be that happy person and come out and, oh my God, and oh, everything would be better. Just think about doing this and encouraging others. And 
I decided to go to Thailand because um, I was ready for my change. I said, I don't want to die without being complete. I don't want my casket that they say, oh, we got to figure out. Oh, we got to figure out what to do with her body. Oh, you know, like, I didn't want people to say, oh, well, we're going to bury her as a man. That bothered me. And I said, if I die any day and I'm by myself in my house, because I was by myself in my house and I was alone for all these years, I still was with my partner, but we lived separately. And I would be alone a lot. And but I had time to think and I just had time like I said, I don't wanna die alone, but I also I don't wanna die, you know, not being complete where people identified me and I didn't want my family to have my body and just say, Oh, this is what but they you know Yeah. And just based off my genitalia and I said, Okay, I'm going to get my surgery and it was, um, I was like, okay, cool. I was like, let me, let me do this. I went and got my, um, surgery, went to Thailand, booked my ticket the year before, um, 2008. And, um, I sprained my ankle <laughs> and I had a hairline fracture and I couldn't go that year. So I made the decision to go the following year. And I was just like, you know, you don't get an opportunity and I have the money. I'm sending it to the doctor and I'm going to do this. And I did it. I just, I left my job. I listened to all those people who kept giving me positive affirmations. And I went, I left my job and miraculously I got, I had all the money for my doctor yeah, and my ticket, everything was, was great and done. Mm -hmm. And I went and I got my surgery and I came back and I, when I woke up, I was so happy. <laughs> and then I said, I could keep doing this. I could keep trying. Mm -hmm. I could keep looking at all the positive and just keep trying and just, you know, and I did. I, I went. I went into um, school when I came back. I went into um, for my hair license. Okay. Are we near ending? Okay. Oh, I was right. I went and got my license for hair, mm -hmm. and I. It was actually my second time going for my license. Oh, okay. Um, I had my my license when I was. <laughs> that was the 19 year old when I was at my parents house okay as the 19 year old yeah the first thing when I came back was try to go into school okay. and LIBS was one of the schools mm -hmm. and I finished it mm -hmm. and I accomplished that but I was thrown out of oh. my family's house okay just upon graduating mm -hmm. that I didn't get to go to the graduation and I just, I had everything and accomplished everything. Mm -hmm. And they, 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 they basically had all my hours and they threw it away. 
because you have to take the test, oh, um, the licensing test. Yeah. I had just graduated the school, mm. but didn't pass the test. And so I got everything just taken away and I had to do it all over. I said, you know what, I'm going to do this, work off the books and pursue my dreams of being a singer, mm. you know? And uh, when I, when I, when I came back from Thailand, I did that and I said, okay, I'm going to work in here mm-hmm. and I'm going to do this and I'm going to work off the books. Unfortunately, that didn't work out the way that I thought it was going to work from leaving a salary job yeah. to a, um, a salary job to a non-salary job to an hourly wage job yeah. paying only $7 an hour, mm. $7.25. And it was, yeah, $7.25 and you're getting paid every two weeks and you're working off of tips. Whew. I, when I tell you, um, what is that called? Um, oh, Supercuts is... <laughs> <laughs> Supercuts is really pretty amazing to just, you know, you're working off of basically nothing. Yeah. They run you like, they, they, they use you as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And I basically took that and I, 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 I left that and a friend of mine invited me to one of the trans clubs. Okay. And. Do you remember the 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 name of the club I don't know the name of the club but it was it, the person I know she's okay. a promoter okay. her name is Sandy Michelle and her party was her parties were called Sandy Michelle's parties oh. and so I went to the trans club and because I was like what <laughs> like I was very new to I came back to New York how oh, I was in Jersey at the time okay um and I lived out there after my mother uh, threw me out that other time. <laughs> I lived in Jersey okay. well, you while had... I was working in corporate. Okay. Okay. While I was working for the temp and everything, yeah. I was living in Jersey and my life had changed and everything felt better, quiet environment, mm-hmm. peaceful. And I I came back to New York for, to finish school out here after I got my change. Okay. And I finished the school, went into a room in New York, finished the training, Finished uh, the school for um, for here, yeah. um, and and I went into the hair industry, but it wasn't working out. New York was new all over again to me, and um, as in living and trying to survive. And I came here thinking everything was going to get better, but it didn't. So when that friend, she introduced me to one of the clubs, Sandy Michelle's party. Mm-hmm. I went there and <laughs> at that point, I was working literally um, in a financial district as a workforce fan, um, analyst. I was a workforce analyst and um, I was a workforce analyst as an analyst for this company. Okay. And I was doing great. Mm-hmm. And I was working seven because the hair part wasn't working and I was like, yeah. I got to work. Mm-hmm. The hair part wasn't working. And so I was like, okay, I, I, I needed to find a, at the location where I was living at, the landlord was being, um, 
and considerate and he was trying to come on to me uh. and he was making the situation difficult and his nephew started to do the same thing and I realized that they were going in my room and they were and they were making things difficult like in general to yeah. me very uncomfortable yeah. and I just I left I left as soon as possible, and I remember the, the phone call that he gave me. I allowed you to leave. Hmm. You didn't leave because you you because you wanted to. I allowed you to leave, but I could have kept you there. I have. Wow. He was so sexual, and then at the same time became, and I, I'm used to that over all the years, you know, but that. It was like my home, like my home is always my sanctuary. Yeah. And I had left and got went over to my mother's house again. Mm. You see, I kept needing my mom. Yeah, yeah. I kept needing her security. I kept needing, needing that. But it was like I go there and then it's not understanding my difficulty because nobody understands what it is to be trans mm-hmm. or be the way that I am or someone and how difficult how, how much different it is for a person like me I'm not trying to be lazy or try to just but it's difficult yeah and this is still like like this is before change mm-hmm. had happened um so here I am, working that salon. Then I, I issues are not good at home because my brother, my older brother, had came to her house and he's being biased towards me and threatening me and everything. Mm-hmm. And then another situation was happening. But I mean, like. Um, Just say that I've kind of endured, um, I've endured a lot of sexual abuse, sexually trying to take advantage of me. Yeah. And people look at me and say, because of the way that I am, I, 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 I deserve it because that's what I want. Mm-hmm. I want to be seen as a sexual. It's like a woman, a cisgendered female who wears a skirt. Mm-hmm. That means she wanted it. Yeah. They identify trans, the stigma in a lot of people's head, especially in the black community. You wanted it. Mm-hmm. That's why you're doing it because you're doing it for sex. Mm-hmm. You're doing it so you could fuck, mm-hmm. so that you you want to be seen, and basically you deserve what you get, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not me, yeah. and that's not a lot. Basically, that's not the trans community. And so they judge. And so 
you have no outlet. Yeah. You can't go, hey, cops, this is what's going on. <laughs> like, here, you are, and they think of you as, you are this, and so you want that. What are you talking about? Like, you get what you want. Like, get out of here with that. And so I had to leave. No explanation. I can't say nothing. I got to go again. I can't explain Caribbean taboo as well. That's what you want. The prior times I also had engaged with that. I run, I run away. Yeah. I'm a runner. <laughs> and so I run away. And so that seems to be like a lot of my history. Instead of dealing with the problems head on, I run and just try not to be the problem. And so I ran away. I left again and I found my apartment and in New Jersey. Okay. And I was working as a workforce analyst in the financial district. And they ended up was gonna shut down and they wanted to send me to India. And I still don't have my life right and the silicone yeah. is attacking me more. Okay. And I just wanna live you know before it's too late mm -hmm. and um, I'm working seven days a week wow. and I'm like the, the the issues are being more um, frequent because mm -hmm. I'm overworking yeah and I can't endure too much but I'm still trying because I in my head I'm like nobody's gonna help me I have to do this on my own and that was my mind mm -hmm. for a long time nobody's gonna help me I got to do this on my own. There's no pos there's no help in any type of way. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. Keep that smile on your face and just keep going forward. So it was like a choice between going to India and now like I'm faced with this and my home and my health and I need to stay in New York because that was another reason why I came back to New York. I need to stay in New York. I need to come to New York because I was gonna be denied services in New York because I was from New Jersey. Huh. And I had New Jersey insurance. Oh, okay. And they couldn't help, the Callan Lord mm -hmm. location said that we can't be giving you services and you're from New Jersey and you're, you're we can't help you the way that we need to help you. Because they said over time that I, I had so many things going on with me and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And all I know is that the silicone got into my lungs and then they're not, cap they're not, they don't understand that I'm going through pain all through my body. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew it was an autoimmune um, yeah. issue and they're just, it was like no help from anywhere no understanding like what's wrong with me so i i'm just scared yeah i'm by myself i didn't even know i was having seizures mm. like i i found out recently huh. i didn't know that i was having seizures i didn't know that i was having i didn't know what my issues were while okay. living in new jersey yeah and i went there and i had to come back here for help mm -hmm. But then I'm not making it out here. 
So I have to go back to Jersey for an apartment. And so now I'm back in Jersey and I'm working seven days a week and I'm killing myself, Mm -hmm. literally. And that's when I couldn't start to maintain anymore. Mm. I was regressing instead of progressing. Yeah. I started to become less an attribute to society, I felt. Less capable because my health was... I didn't know what was wrong, and I just thought I'm creeping closer to death. Because also, when I would get sick, it will feel worse and worse. So I I concurred what they told me earlier when I was paralyzed. You're going to die eventually. Because it was supposed to be from six months. It was, it was die in a hospital to six months to a year to this amount of years, okay. maximum. Huh. And I just, I just continued like in that pattern. And I tried to fight the mentality of thinking I'm gonna die yeah. to just live for now. Mm-hmm. And then I went into um, the I went, I, I went into that the financial district and then my friend, when she said, come through, I said, okay. And I danced and I made $3,500 my first night. Wow. And I, exactly. Wow. And I said, if I do this again, I'm not going back to work. <laughs> I did this again. Cause I'm, I'm like, it's hard to be in the financial district. It's hard to be around people who don't understand gender. It's hard to be in an environment where people are judging you and you're trying to be the best employee that you can be just so that they wouldn't judge you. Not even about your gender, but just you being you. And you want to judge me and you're hurting me by judging me. You're hurting me and I'm trying to keep my head up, but it's like school again. I'm being bullied. And I just have to keep going in and keep my head up high. It doesn't matter. And I'll sit by myself and eat. And oh, hi, and hoping that somebody will talk to you, but then they look at you as odd because you know you're socially awkward in general. And you know why you're socially awkward in general. It's because of who you are and you've already been being judged in this environment. And then the thing about it is that you're a boss. You're the boss. Mm. So you're one of the boss. And so you're there being judged by 900 and something different employees. And you don't know, you have nice people and mean people and you hear them talking and you just snap out of it. You're like, ah, whatever. And you're doing great, but it's mentally getting to me, yeah. which is triggering my physical, mm-hmm. the, the autoimmune, yeah. which is triggering the seizures, which is triggering everything. And you're sad and you're like, you get back up every day and you smile and you go back to work and you put the smile back on and you keep doing it. And then your friend, she shows you this one little bit of hope, $3,500 in one night, yeah. one night, 
oh, I'm leaving this job. <laughs> I go back again and make a thousand. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, <laughs> I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And I was on painkillers, migraine medications, and all that for and all these years still. And yeah. And, but at this time, nobody knew that um, I was on all of this medication. Yeah. And then I stopped. Um, because I had a dysonic moment where I had impulses where my muscles were not controlled and I was walking and, um, at the time I know I was on Lyrica at the time Mm -hmm. for the pain in my tissue. Mm -hmm. Um, I would feel the pain from joints, hands, um, I would feel my muscles shifting. I would feel like every move, I could feel inside my body. Mm-hmm. But what was so weird is that I couldn't feel the outside. So if you hit me, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, that wouldn't be an issue. Mm-hmm. Like somebody could beat me up and I wouldn't feel like it was anything. Mm-hmm. But my own body felt like it was just hurting me, just shifting and moving and pulling and that would be so much stress mm-hmm. on me. And then um, it was like I was having those episodes at home mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to deal with that. But once I got into that club, <laughs> that's when everything got better. Wow. Like I, 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 I was around the girls again. Mm-hmm. I was around guys who were interested in girls like myself. Mm-hmm. That became my normalcy now all yeah. over again. Because it's like you're living one life and you're all wrong. And then you're living another life and it's all right. But then it's not all right in other aspects. Mm-hmm. So it's like both worlds. Yeah. And so I, I, uh, I made the best of that entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And I... I listened to those celebrities that told me of all the positive things. And I worked as a dancer and moved my way up as an assistant for one of the promoters for the parties and moved my way up as an events, um, an events direct, a event director assistant. And I started managing clubs. Mm-hmm. And I started being free in an environment of club kids. I started going to club kid parties. Mm-hmm. And now, as you can see, as I was young, I never did any of that. Yeah. I also didn't smoke, drink, or do drugs. Mm-hmm. And through that whole time, I've endured health issues and worse and Nothing. I did not celebrate. I didn't go out. I didn't have fun. I was a homebody. I didn't live life still to the fullest. And now I'm now introduced to a club. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow. And I took that club on and I would meet the girls every day and I would just go and my my friend, she would get me in or sometimes I would have to pay. And it started from that to working where I got full access free, come in. You know, I would drink and I'm like, great, I feel relaxed because they would say that I was so 
uptight when I would come. Like I, mm-hmm. I didn't know my environment, nor did I know yeah. how it was because there was, I was, I socially awkward because I didn't, I didn't really ever mingle. So now this is bringing out positive out of me, and I'm like happy to meet everybody, and I'm introducing myself to people, and it's like I felt like if I would meet new girls. Like I would know how they feel and I would go towards them and tell them, don't worry, this is what's going on. Just, you know, be happy. Just, you know, incorporate yourself inside the place. Just yeah. relax, <laughs> everything will happen. You know, everything yeah. will happen in time. And then I would go to the club kid environments and do the same thing and all of every spectrum in a club kid environment, there is no LGBTQ, nothing. It's just people and going to industry parties and everybody is just love. And I just meet other promoters and I'm just spreading love. And this became my everything. My love, my family, my friends, my sisters, my my brothers, my everybody, like everybody. It was, this is when I realized it was me. This is when I realized entertainment was me and I never pursued I never pursued my dream. Yeah. I was told that I couldn't. I was told that I wouldn't. I told I was to, I was directed into what people felt that I should be in listening to them. Mm-hmm. And I did it. I went in there and I became known as season's best <laughs> the entertainer okay. and I became um, an event specialist myself, DJ, um, model. Um, I started to do campaigns, documentaries, films. I started acting. Um, I just finished up a film recently. Um, yeah, I just did, uh, it's called uh, Nightfall. It'll be out in 2019. Um, I have a um, supporting role in the film. Um, I, I've also I'm also in a film called Walk for Me. Um, I did the different documentaries as well. The video um, I've done um, portraits and photography. Um, I've also had a piece written on me um, in Vice. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, Vice magazine. Yeah, as season's best or as Akasha. <laughs> Gotta remember, it <laughs> might be Season's Rest or Akasha. Um, and the nightclub entertainment, because I became promoter myself. Yeah. I became a promoter for my community, yeah. for trans, for, you know, LGBT to come. And I mean, I've met such amazing people in this time. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are attracted to girls like me, mm-hmm. who couples, families, and everything. And they just want to hang out, and they, they're they free, and stuff like that. And people who just don't care, who, none of this, they judge us or anything. And I'm with celebrities, and I'm saying, hi, what's going on? And I feel home. And I would always go back to when I was working at the company, and they would treat me as if I'm one of them. And it stayed in me and I strived and I became successfully known 
and I became uh, do you call it plateau plateau for mm. others yeah and I started to appreciate being trans mm. and teaching others and I realized that it really takes being caring mm-hmm. and supportive and and positive affirmation to build to to help build my community yeah. and not the mentality that they are incapable of like I'm, I'm not I'm not in there for that I'm in the the field of telling them they could do anything they want and upon that I'm at the point where I can I have an organization at my disposal amongst being amongst the, the news that I, I gave you yeah but my own organization where I am implementing talent expression writing 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 courses writing groups mm-hmm. art groups dancing everything because we're told we can't and we're told that this is not. But what about the holistic point yeah. of trans care? Mm-hmm. I had none of that. But I, it kept me alive mentally. Mm-hmm. I had none of that as a kid, only through the programs at school. Yeah. You know, not knowing what I was going through. But that capability to express yourself and be free and to not only be about health and all the other stuff, but that is a part of health, oh, yeah. which is mental and, and I don't I, holistic is what I keep calling it. Mm-hmm. It's a part of your health to know that everything would just be okay. Yeah. Just relax and be yourself. Just relax and just free your mind. Just relax. Like imagine dance classes for trans community you know dance you know why not why can't we why why can't we and there's so many jobs in dancing and we're told you know even as young oh dances you can't become a dancer nothing there is so much talent we're still as i broke it down to somebody i said i am still the same person Gender or no gender, I had a debate with somebody mm-hmm. online on Facebook. Okay. They were like, oh, um, you you guys don't know the resources that is out there for you. And I said, well, wow, I'm a part of the beginning of resources. Yeah, yeah. You wrote the first handbook. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody was doing that. Like, yeah. I had groups for people to attend so we could, we could, we could come together at this place called Positive Health Project where we had groups and I brought in a doctor. We, we got the doctor to come in and we got people from different aspects from from even intersex to come and speak at the group mm-hmm. from people from different countries and what they endured and how hidden their lives were. Mm-hmm. Broadening and people that were in that group are now leaders today mm-hmm. in the trans community. That you're telling me that you know, you don't believe that 
a person like me knows what kind of resources are out there. You're saying that, oh, I've, I've realized is that um, you guys are catty and this. Mm -hmm. That was a general statement. And I try to tell them you're saying a general statement. Mm -hmm. That's not how it is. You know, there is different types of people different of every culture, ethnicity or whatever. You can't say everybody. And I am, and I am trans. I'm trans, I am me, and I'm comfortable, and my brain has nothing to do with my gender, as per se. Yeah. It has nothing to do with my gender identity. It has nothing, what I can do, educate, learn, everything has nothing to do with my gender. Yeah. My talents have nothing. It has to do with me. Yeah. And it is in all of us growing up. It is in all of us. All of us. We have a dream of where we want to be. Mm -hmm. It might be deterred because of what others have done or said. Or, you know, basically that. <laughs> what yeah. others have said or done. But as long as we believe in ourselves, mm -hmm. we can be whatever we want to be no matter what. Okay. And that's subtracting the gender. Yeah. yeah. We're still a person and we're still human and we're still people with brains that work functionally and artistically and, and uh, logically. We're still people. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people, a lot of people that I have encountered and have seen um, in, in just the world itself that they are not understanding we're still people and so now it's more stressed about gender now but it's the character yeah. not all this other stuff look at me for what I can provide it shouldn't matter about anything pertaining to me anything else but my character yeah and so that's the mindset that i want others to understand be you mm -hmm. and i noticed that works a lot when you're when you're capable of not feeling restricted and just say what am i upset about being myself why should i feel upset or why should i feel like it's like saying I want to put my hand here, but I'm refraining because others might think I shouldn't. Mm -hmm. When it, you know, like you reach out and say, "Don't do that." Yeah. No. <laughs> what? Like this? Oh, don't go. Why are you going to the park? Like, why are you going to? That's so boring. That is a bully mentality. Mm -hmm. When you say no, I can't do. You say, I can't do, that's when you say, yes, I can. And you push forward. No, I can't be a writer. Yes, I can. What's stopping me but me? So what we do, stop people from thinking that they can't and let them know that they could. I'm going to be mean regardless. I'm going to smile. I'm not hurting anybody by smiling. 
I'm not hurting anybody by being myself, being myself. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm being the best that I can be. And because we're all put on this earth to live life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I feel. We're put on earth to live life, Mm -hmm. not to worry about life, live within our lives because all that worrying, you're gonna realize that it'll be take, it could be taken away from you at any moment and you've never lived. Mm-hmm. So would you rather live? Yes, mm-hmm. I would rather live. And it took my near death experiences to put me in that mentality. Yeah. yeah. When you think you have nothing left, when you think like I'm not gonna live, just like I've seen a, a cancer patient um, who started to do all of their, their, their dreams and try to try to do all the things that they've never done before because they had this um, type of cancer, and then they did it, and guess what? They found somebody to help them because it was a special type of blood, I think, for a leukemia, um, cancer, and now they're living. Mm. But they did all of that. And they loved it and they they really, now they're helping other people live the same dreams and other cancer patients and other people who don't, I got to find that and I'm going to send you that information. Um, But it's now they get to pursue their dreams and it's just because they were scared that they were going to die and not have that time. Yeah. So... I did the same thing, not knowing like how much more that could help others live life, mm-hmm. you know? So is there anything you want to ask me? <laughs> um, I go through those moments. <laughs> yeah, no, that was amazing. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm interested in like how you're, how you're like kind of functioning. Like you mentioned like dance classes and stuff like that. Like what, are the kind of like spaces that you're offering now, like with the platform that you have? I am working, okay. So I have been slowed down because I had a heart attack 2015. So, and honestly- And also what year did you start in the clubs? Oh, I started uh, 2000, oh yeah, 2009. Okay. No, 2011. 2011. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 10, 11. Okay. Um, yeah, 2011. Okay. Um, yeah, 2011. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, um, um, what happened with me, um, um, what was the question again? Um, what you're offering now in terms of, like, how... To do, yeah. yeah. Well, for that, um, I'm still working on, um, to be able to start the programs um, because I, I, I'm, this is going to be a general organization, but to help others, which is also immigrants, because mm. um, they're so closely related to me. Yeah. And um, it's actually between me and my mother. Mm. We have came together wow. and through my experiences, my mom has changed so much and has found an understanding and has looked 
so deep inside and went into child psychology and everything. And as we worked, we worked together now as a unit. And we may have misunderstandings, but we found out that we were so, we thought we were so different, but realized we were so similar. Yeah. And we, we have faith in God and we have faith in each other. And so this environment we're trying to incorporate um, in different boroughs mm. and um, um, in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and for me, I I want Manhattan. <laughs> you know, I yeah. find it to be a safe place. No matter what, I I find it to be a safe place, and um, be able to provide food um, for all my experiences. Where and my my me and my mom are trying to basically get a building for um, homeless mm-hmm. youth, and I'm looking for one for trans youth and we're trying to find that space. I want it to be more like a community center, um, but not like the other one, but for, not like the one over there, but one for talent, music and arts, for the arts. Um, My sister passed away the same year that I had the heart attack. We both were in the hospital at the same time. We both got silicone injection around the same time. Hmm. And the injections got her later on in life. Hmm. At this time, as me, it was affecting me all these years, but it got her out of nowhere, just all of a sudden. And she was in the hospital at the same time I was in the hospital. Hmm. And it was, downhill for her as it was going into downhill for me we were only a year apart oh, wow. and so she is also my my she was my trans experience sister and she was there for me through thick and thin mm-hmm. and we were talking and everything is she the first one that you like went to the stroll with or no is this a different sister? she was actually she was actually, yeah, she was actually one of the ones that I, I first started. That's not the one, okay. but that's okay. one of the, 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 she's actually the one, yeah. but not the one that I first, that first time I went down there. Okay. And we were in the hospital together. We literally wow. transitioned yeah. everything like, you know, she was like a very supporting role, encouraging to me. When I was going through everything with my family, and she believed in family, and she she's the first one to bring me around other people and start having me, you know. And I had anger issues, and I didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, like I was pushing people away. She's like, "No, this is what you got to stop doing. You're you, people are scared to be around you. Why? <laughs> Why are they scared just to be around me? Because I was angry inside, and I was reflecting it on the outside." not knowing others, not knowing what was going on on the inside. I wasn't trying to push anybody away, but I was very antisocial. And so people seeing that would go, "Uh uh-uh. But not knowing I had a lot to contribute. Mm -hmm. 
but I didn't know how to engage with others to do that. And so, so I've had, she died when I had a heart attack. We both were in the hospital at the same time. And um, unfortunately she died. And I didn't know that she was going to die. Um, I didn't know that she knew that she was at that point, but we did spend spend time with each other before her passing. And I just, I had no idea. And so I'm glad I did get to speak to her before her passing. Um, we had so many, we said we were going to get the silicone on our bodies and everything. And we were going to, because it was why we both were in the hospital. Yeah. I had the heart attack because the silicone had traveled into my heart and stained it. And it called, created kidney problems. So I was in the hospital for a year wow. with the kidney problems. And then I, 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 she was in the hospital for a clot and it just, we were talking to each other from hospitals and like, it was just weird. And, um, it was like, yeah, it was, it was, it was just, she died. And it was the first time dealing with somebody who was close to me. Yeah. Very, very, very close to me. Cause I've kept my, I don't know, through all the other passings of my sisters, younger, it was like something I was just used to. But now we're in our 30s. I'm 35. And I know you since I was 13. Yeah. And this is weird to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, that was uh, the first time dealing with depression. The first time dealing with it on the outside. Um, I cried for, <laughs> I've cried for almost uh, a year straight. A year, I cried for like a year straight. Um, I am just getting over her death as of this year. Um, but I took it hard and never understood. I was also not in a good place after my, um, heart attack. Mm -hmm. I was after the abuse in the hospitals and the mistreatments after finding out my gender Mm -hmm. and the fact that everybody was just trying to toss me away. These last few years has been, I stopped working. Mm-hmm. I had stopped with the organization at yeah. that point. I was in the hospital. There was yeah. nothing I could do. I had lost part of my memory, my past. I didn't even know who my mother was. Uh-huh. And my mother, my mother doesn't know. And <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I didn't know, I, I knew who she was, but I didn't know who she was. Everything was there, but wasn't there. Nothing would come to the forefront. It was like here. 
right. and it was just black. It was a fog. Yeah. And um, my heart almost stopped after I was having anxiety attacks. And it was like really downhill. Mm. And I didn't know what was wrong. And I kept trying to work. I kept trying to go back to work. Mm. And I was hurting myself more. The hospital... Bellevue, um, unfortunately, wasn't giving me correct care. Mm -hmm. I was complaining, but they weren't listening. Mm -hmm. um, I would go to other hospitals. I would go to the hospital emergency room, and they said nothing's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. What am I talking about? That they, they just started treating me like I have had mistreatment medically mm -hmm. within the last few years. Mm -hmm. I, I, as well as the years passing by, because nobody listened. Yeah. And a lot could have been avoided, but everything happens for a reason. And in the, that time, I feel like I wouldn't have lost so much, but at the same time, I've gained so much. But um, the hospital system literally abused their power, had biased individuals who were supposed to be there to help you, who I felt like if I was an elderly person and I would see these, these commercials about elderly people and the abuse that they would go to go through. So now imagine a person who's crippled or not capable of advocating for themselves where it's not about a voice anymore. I have no voice. Mm -hmm. Like I have no, I can't even talk for myself. Mm -hmm. I can't even make decisions for myself mm -hmm. being tossed around. And what I, what I found, they didn't know my brain capacity before I went in there. And it was weird because I could understand everything in here, mm -hmm. but I couldn't get it out. Mm. My my responses, I was talking like, and the doctors thought I came in there like that. The nurses and everybody thought I came in there like that. So when the nurse walked into my room and nobody changed my diaper mm. and the whole floor was flooded with urine a puddle it's because they just left me in there mm -hmm. and didn't care and then the nurse came in and she shoved the catheter inside of me and she said that's what you get for you know doing this to yourself and that's what you wanted right and this is stuff i endured yeah. while my while you were like stuck inside your body. Right. Yeah. And I couldn't speak. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. This is how our elderly are being yeah. treated. This is how our sick are being treated. Mm -hmm. When they think that nobody is listening. Mm -hmm. When nobody, when I don't have a voice because nobody visited me in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Because they thought I was alone. Yeah. You know, I had bruises all over my veins mm -hmm. for the the lines that they had put in and it was so old mm. 
and the machine was beeping and it's hurting, but they knew I couldn't I, do anything. About it. Right. I couldn't vouch for myself. All of that, mm-hmm. all of my experiences because of that, I had to overcome mm-hmm. after that, mm-hmm. overcome my sister's death, overcome how I've been treated, overcome because at one point, when my sister passed away and then my best friend's mother passed away the following year, mm-hmm. I didn't believe in love. I, I was died again mm-hmm. the following year. I worked for a community center again that didn't listen to me when I was saying something's wrong, mm-hmm. that I, I need to take off, something is wrong. The hospital that I'm at is not doing the right thing. Something is wrong. I need to take off. I was told at this job that you're under contract. Hmm. You know, that's what you came here for. And, you know, I said, but something's wrong and I don't know what's wrong and I need to take off. And... Akasha, you need to stop. You need to do what you got. And I'm telling them, I'm also I'm I'm homeless at the time. Because I left my environment because I realized I wasn't being helped. Mm-hmm. And I had to leave. And I couldn't vouch for myself. I was being degraded by the very people that I felt were supposed were in support of human rights and mm-hmm. LGBTQ rights. This company didn't care. Mm-hmm. And I just, my last day of the contract, I walked off the, 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 the last day of work. I stayed, I was lingering and not working because I was so hurt, like in the inside, it, something was wrong. And the shelter, I had a curfew. So I'm going to work and I'm going to my shelter. So if I can't go to the shelter and I'm, I'm, I got to go home or I lose my bed and I lose my stuff and I'm working and this is the only time I could do this. And I'm telling you, I need to, to take off. And you told me, no, I have a contract. What do I do? So the last day of work, I walked off. I I left, I lingered in the area, which was Gay Pride Day. I lingered near the the table that we had Mm -hmm. and I just stayed around and then I walk away and I stayed around because I knew this was the day I was gonna take care of myself. Mm -hmm. But I'm gonna show that I stuck this through. And I stuck it through despite how much I was going through and how hard my life was. And I walked off, I walked away at the end, said, oh, okay, everything is done. Okay, well, great, bye. And I walked into the hospital and I went into Mount Sinai Hospital um, on uh, 50, uh, 59th, 58th Street. And I walked into the emergency room and I said, you know what? Because I thought Bellevue was a great hospital. And I said, you know what? I was even going into the Lennox Hospital 
right around the corner from my job. Mm-hmm. And that they kept saying nothing was wrong. I went into that hospital and thank God that I said something is wrong and y'all really need to do something. And I kept describing what I was going through. It was I kept going <gasps> and it kept going <gasps> and I would have moments where <gasps> my heart was trying to stop mm-hmm. all these months. And it was at the point where it was going to stop. Mm-hmm. And that last day when I went in there was the point where if I'd, I don't know what would have happened if I didn't go. Mm-hmm. I went in there and they had to keep me for a month because mm-hmm. my heart was going to stop. I was going to have to get a device placed inside mm-hmm. and everything. I had to wear a monitor for a full year. Mm-hmm. My whole depression kicked in and if you don't have love from your own community and you don't have love from outside of your community and you don't have it took this one heart doctor to listen to me and found the problem and went in and helped me and I'm better today I'm not as I was before but I'm better today you know um, I have to take each day at a time Mm -hmm. but I got to also learn to, one of the main things that they said was, um, you must learn to take care of yourself before you take care of others. Mm -hmm. Stress is actually a killer. Mm -hmm. And the more my heart was pumping, it was destroying itself. Mm -hmm. And key things within this time span is that I've been needing to find myself and find happiness and find who you are to be able to move forward. Mm-hmm. And that's on the path. And that's a part of the whole solution yeah. for me within my organization to push it forward. And the name of the organization is the Helping Hands for Life. It's it's gonna accelerate. <laughs> it's going to accelerate. I have been working on myself, taking my medications, and um, which is my heart medications. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have heart congestive heart failure now. Okay. Um, from the heart attack, they found all of that. They realized, you know, because the people before didn't realize that. Um, Nobody was helping me. They didn't, wasn't giving me strong enough medication to help my heart. But now it's better and functional. Okay. The memories took a while to come back. Yeah. I realized you know, people need therapy sometimes to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And in, my, in the community, it seems like, oh, not everybody, they don't, they don't have therapy for what's going on in your life. Yeah. Besides, what's going on with your gender? Yeah. Like, what's going on with you and the trauma you have gone through? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people are sucking up the trauma, Mm -hmm. and it could break them down. Yeah. And that's where I have to step in. And this organization that has been around since 2013 Mm -hmm. is going to have its foundation, its location, foundation and will push forward and stuff. And I will also be writing detailed 
about, I write as well. Yeah. Um, detailed. Um, I do playwriting. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that I want the center to be engaged with. Mm-hmm. A place for them to feel free and be able to join all of those aspects, music, art, everything, and come together and throw plays, mm-hmm. throw musical plays, throw um, um, exhibits and everything together mm-hmm. and see that we could work together and be wonderful together and help them publish books, help them find careers, help them find, I feel that's consolidating. I, before all of this, I never wanted to write something personal I'm a sci-fi writer. Oh, I love very sci- cool. Yeah, okay. I love sci-fi. Uh-huh. I don't. I don't like to be personal, even though I love reading personal and self-help and everything. Yeah. But I don't like. Um, I like <laughs> sci-fi. I'm a tricky fan. Mm-hmm. I am um, um, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I I love. I love X Men. Mm-hmm. You know, I love comic books, anime all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a deeper meaning within stuff. But I need to teach I need to teach others that they can do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I need that environment to do that. Mm-hmm. And part of the dedication is towards the person that passed away. Yeah. That's my sis. And the part of the, the reveal is better than than just saying her name. Mm-hmm at a point the reveal she was a beautiful person who pursued her dreams and she was successful mm-hmm. at it and she lived a great life and that's what we have to instill in others and because she instilled it in me mm-hmm. all those points people didn't really I spoke to her she instilled it in me and the schools instilled it through those positive things that I did. That's what I'm going to instill furthermore. Yeah. <laughs> I go through a zone. I keep saying that. I go through a little zone and I start to like. Yeah. No, yeah. it's beautiful. Um, I think we do have to cut out the interview. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much for sharing your story. Was it okay? <laughs> uh, it was amazing. Yes. Was it interesting? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Was it all over the place? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, my, my past is really traumatic. And yeah. so I've been trying to pull it out mm-hmm. and because it's been traumatizing. Yeah. So it's harder. Mm-hmm. And so upon that, I have to take... I'm looking for a ghostwriter to actually do more detail um, because I would break down and cry inside this room and I'm trying not to. (laughs) So I have to take each detail slowly, but I think people need to hear my story. So it's, it's not something to be wasted. It's something... I need somebody to get the details. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but it's it's hard. My me and my therapist, we've been trying to work through these <laughs> stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. It's um, 
it's really detailed and it's been traumatic mm-hmm. but uh, slowly there's a lot of people who've been going through a lot of traumatic stuff mm-hmm. and been holding it in and those people who I've been out on the stroll with mm-hmm. a lot of them have been traumatized mm-hmm. and they're dealing with it in different ways and it's 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 time for change mm-hmm. for a better change and in a different way yeah so. Mm-hmm. so, I'm Akasha Barker, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, thank you.